This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the 343 Podcast. This is another installment of Two Minutes Uninterrupted. On these short episodes, coaches are given two minutes to discuss their coaching philosophy and ideas about the game. After that, we talk about the topics they touched on and we try to extract at least one gold nugget that you can leave with. The guest on this episode is Andrew Hoyt. So a big thank you to Andrew for coming on the show. If you want to connect with Andrew, you can follow him on Twitter. His handle is at Andrew Hoyt 24. So that's at Andrew, the regular way that it's spelled H O Y T 24. If you enjoy these uh, short episodes, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating or review wherever you are listening. And if you are an ambitious coach that is looking for ways to continue learning and you are looking for a powerful education program from proven practitioners, you need to check out the 343 Premium Coaching Membership. It's an online program designed to reduce your trial and error time and help you coach possession-based soccer. David Copeland-Smith, the founder of Beast Mode Soccer, is in his sixth year as a 343 member. He said, honestly, it's worth 10 times the yearly membership. You're not investing in the drills, you're investing in your education, a proven methodology, and a phenomenal community of progressive coaches, end quote. The 343 Premium Membership gives you 24-7 access to video lessons, ebooks, and audio recordings. Together, these tools make it easy for you to learn and implement the 343 philosophy and methodology with your own teams. You can learn more about the benefits of the Premium Coaching Membership Program or sign up and start learning today by visiting 343coaching.com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast and this edition of Two Minutes Uninterrupted with Andrew Hoyt. All right, you uh you ready for this? Yeah. You've had a couple extra weeks to prepare. Yeah, definitely. A little, <laughs> little busy schedule between the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so you're going to get two minutes uninterrupted. Actually, I, I'll interrupt you at about 30 seconds and let you know uh, you got 30 seconds left to wrap it up, and then uh, and then we'll talk about whatever, uh, whatever you brought up. All right, perfect. Cool. Um, all right, so here is two minutes uninterrupted from Andrew Hoyt. Is that how you say it? Yep. Andrew Hoyt. So here is two minutes uninterrupted from Andrew Hoyt. All right. So a big thing that we work on and uh, a big phrase that we use is freedom within the framework. And for us, that means letting players make decisions within a central idea and a game model for each of our groups. And the big part that goes along with that is something a little different than a lot of organizations are trying to do with their younger groups, they want to spend more time on creativity and flair and things like that. What we want to do with our younger groups, 14, 13, uh, 12 years old maybe, is get a framework for them. Get an idea of how our game model looks um, at that age group and be a little bit more strict with what their decision-making should be and things like that. And then as their technical proficiency starts to increase, 
and they understand the framework, then we start to give them a little bit more freedom, you know, where they get to make higher level decisions about um, different moments in the game and what their decisions on the ball and off the ball should be. So it's more at the younger ages, more say maybe strict with their decisions. But then as they start to get older and they read the game more and technical breakdowns aren't as big of a problem, then they're, they're given more freedom uh, to make their own decisions and things like that. And another big thing for us is um, being in a club centric model, being in the development Academy allows that to happen with our normal club teams. Maybe you can't have that because each coach 30 seconds in the, in the club might have a different game model. But when we're club centric, like we are with the DA where the girls follow the pathway from our youngest group all the way to our oldest group. And that allows us to um, implement the same game model from the top down. So that allows it to be that framework is from the top down. So there is no change over every year. Perfect. Perfect. Wrapping up there. Yep. Cool. All right. Let's talk about it. Uh, Let's start with an introduction. So tell me uh, or tell tell everybody who you are, what you do and where you do it. All right. So um, obviously my name is Andrew Hoyt. I'm born in Rochester, New York, and I currently coach with Empire United and the Girls Development Academy in Rochester, New York. A big thing for me is that I played for Empire growing up, so it's been great to be given the opportunity to come back and coach in the club that I played for. So for me, that's been a great experience. You know, I know where a lot of these players are currently in their process. So being young, being only 22 and being close to that still, um, I think that it allows me to have a good connection with the players and the things that they're going through right now. Why does why does Rochester uh, I can't talk? Why does Rochester Rhinos come to the front of my mind? What is that? Is that a club? So, oh yeah, so Rochester Rhinos were uh, in the USL. They actually folded two years ago, but uh, the Rochester Rhinos in 1996, I believe, and you can fact check me on this, but I believe that they're the only non MLS team since the MLS was created to win the US Open Cup. Ah, okay. So we had original ownership group. They messed things up. We tried to go for the MLS, built our own stadium, and uh, it just started to crumble. And so they folded last year and didn't field a team for the first year since 1996. Wow. What a... What ultimately happens with that stadium now that the team's gone and, and you know the investment was kind of there and now it's not? What's what's happened so, with all that? So it's actually the big thing that a lot of people say in the area is that where they chose to put the stadium. So originally they played all stadium uh, with the local uh, AAA team here in Rochester and they both shared it and split lens, split all those things. But I believe to go to the MLS, they needed their own soccer-specific stadium. So that was the ownership group's goal at that point. And to get money from the state and local governments, the area that they put the field in wasn't attracting the same type of – the same numbers that you were seeing at the old stadium. So as attendance started to go down, the the ownership group fell apart, um, and then – a few other people bought it, and it's it's been passed along. Stadium started to fall into decay, and then uh, the current owners bought it and brought it back for a year, um, put in tons of money into it, put new turf in, upgraded the stadium. Um, Bob Lilly was the head coach. I think now he's at the Riverhounds. Um, so they had it was looking good, and then financially, it's just it's not stable enough to keep the team on the field. 
Man, well, that's a bummer. Um, it is no professional <laughs> soccer in Rochester now. Yeah, that was that was going to be part of uh, part of my line of questioning was that you had mentioned you know the the girls specifically follow a pathway from the time that they're young until the time that they graduate from the DA, which I believe is is now 19 years old. So it's like you have you have steps along the way for them to to follow, and then all of a sudden at 19, now there's nothing. Now I. If I'm not mistaken, Rochester Rhinos were only a men's team, right? They they didn't have a professional women's team. Correct. For a while, there was the Western New York Flash. Got it. Okay. Um, which is still currently a youth club in the area out of Buffalo. Um, that was the local women's team. But you're right; the pathway does stop, and I know that that's a push from Ship Group at Empire is to one day, hopefully sooner rather than later, start to get into that you know, semi-professional level where those DA players who maybe are taking a gap year or are coming back from college, you know, giving them an opportunity to play. I know that that's in the works. I know that there's a lot going on with um, moving. Um, we're in Buffalo roster and we have a few other teams, other places. So I know that there's a lot to bring all that together and bring all the leadership together. But I know that that's something that they're working towards is trying to get there. I, I think it's possible, and I think that, especially at that level, um, you know, at a, like a decent semi-pro level, it, it could be possible, and it would make the pathway for both the girls and the boys um, have an end goal other than just college. At what point do you and the your fellow coaches and, and the club just in general begin talking with the players about the pathway that's in front of them. So I guess uh, maybe two questions. Um, what age are you guys looking to bring players into the club? And then at what age are you guys talking to starting to talk to them about the pathway that could take them potentially to U19? Yeah. So we have, I believe that our club team started like U8, U9. So um, kids are starting to join the club at that point. And um, I would say that the talks probably start right around, 13 14 especially for um you know players who have a special you know have that special set of skills that are is getting attention from you know mls academies and that's something that we do a lot a lot of our top players who have the means and have the you know the support of their families to this go and play at um i know we send quite a few to we have a good connection with ben cross who's at columbus crew uh, who was actually at Empire and our boys DA first. I know quite a few of our boys have went on to Sporting KC and played in their academy. So I know that we send a lot of players. We have a current player who uh, was with us and now is at Red Bull too. So it's that's more of that for that elite player that has a shot at you know a professional career maybe. That's more of the pathway. Working through us and getting yourself the notes and then moving on to uh, a more prof- a professional environment with, um, you know, a professional academy. Yeah. Just, uh, I, I don't want to turn these like short little coaching episodes into, into something that, that people probably aren't tuning in for, but it's just, man, it really bums me out that you guys can't have everything in house and have a top to bottom, um, you know, structure you know where you guys have the first team and, and you're graduating your your own u19 players to your own first team instead of having to send them to columbus crew or new york red bulls or nycfc so it'd be great yeah it's just, it's just 
it's really hard to have these types of conversations about development without bringing up that very, very important aspect of the development model. It's like the, the team teams all over the world have this in place. The United States is, is one of the few places that does not. And of course, you know, there's, there's teams and, and clubs in the all over the world that, you know, the, the best players kind of get filtered to, but that doesn't mean that all these other little clubs all over the world don't have their own first teams. And, and we really, really take that for granted here in, in the United States, I feel like. Well, and going to that point, I think looking at the rest of the world, a big part of that is promotion relegation. You know, when there might not be the opportunity for, you know, say Club X and base it upon uh, Empire United, there might not be, there's not the possibility for that club to move up into the next level through merit does the investment of putting that type of team out a semi-pro or professional team does that investment in that have a good enough return to make it worth it and that's a question that without promotion relegation is really viable you know is it viable to do that yeah and a lot of times it's not i mean i i've looked at the possibility of starting a usl2 team a usl1 team or whatever they're called now pdl all the little acronyms and changes every year right? yeah but and yeah i mean you said it like that is changing every year so um imagine the instability over the course of 10 years like if you're trying to build a club from from the ground up and include youth and all kinds of other stuff and you don't have the stability of even a league and, and that's right. crazy. That's crazy right there. But yeah, but, but what is, what is the incentive for, for uh, a club to, to start and, and invest all that money? Like what is, what, what is the long-term um, return going to be? Because if you, it's, it's one thing to find people to donate money and build a field or something like that, or to donate money and, the, and you buy jerseys and soccer balls, but like, that's not sustainable. And, and right. how, like you, you should be wanting to be a self-sustained club and and yeah tangent i guess we we should be talking about coaching but this is so this is so important though like this is such an important aspect of of the soccer ecosystem and it, and it really is important for people to understand how how important it is and and without this mechanism of promotion relegation it really hinders development it hinders the club's ability to do business it, it to recruit to keep the best players all kinds of other stuff and it all hinges exactly. on on you know this this dream or this opportunity to someday make it to the first division and and if that if there's no opportunity there then of course you're going to send all your players to Columbus or NYCFC or New York Red Bulls or someplace else where they can progress like of course you're not going to keep these players in in a club where they're not going to play first team football that makes no sense and and you're not going to dump money into a program that where where you're never going to see a return anyways. It's like buying a it's like buying a pizza a, a pizza restaurant knowing that you're going to lose a million dollars a year. It's like what that doesn't make any sense. Right, and and it is, you know, my belief is that it starts with the federation. If the federation wants to, you know, looking at the guy side, they want to compete on an international level. I think that this is a big part of it is that if you have more clubs that can give top level training to younger players and entice younger players to stay with the game and continue to have a wider base of elite training environments, that's, that would help the national programs in my opinion. And that's something that currently, you know, 
there are great training environments in Dominion. I think that they've done a good job setting it up with the DA and helping those training environments along, but it should be bigger for the size of the country. It should be, you know, you shouldn't have to travel so far to get to that training environment, you know? And so I think that that falls on the Federation to, you know, help the game of soccer in the U S. And I think that that's a good way to improve the player pool over the long term. Andrew, how often are you having these conversations with other coaches in your club or with parents that are, that are, um, that are bringing like their kids to and from training or games. How often are these conversations about promotion relegation and, and the way that the Federation does its, its business? Um, how, um, how often are those happening? Well, obviously, you know, a good friend of mine, Colton Bly, him and I are having this conversation probably weekly, yeah. but um, you know, with other coaches in the club, it, it is there and you know, nothing against them or any other coach that doesn't believe, but some people just don't see promotion relegation being successful in the U S and have counter arguments to it, which granted are viable arguments, but you know, if we don't take that leap, I would say that they are happening pretty often in conversations like this, especially, um, you know, when you start to look at the players that are set up for that environment, have the skill set to play at that next level. You know, I think it's a big conversation that is being had, you know, and a lot of people hope for it and wish that eventually soccer in the U.S. gets to that point. Um, but I think that a lot of people don't don't have confidence in it getting there. You know, one, one of the things I'm thinking about right now is that every type of like promotion of a player, because that's really like where promotion relegation like really happens, I guess, in 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 American soccer is like player by player as, as weird as that is to say, uh, to say, um, but that's all, that's all based on, you know, subjective, um, measurements like from, from either you as a, as a club coach that's trying to pass them along to another, to another club or her, sorry. Um, or a, another club that decides like, Oh yeah, like this is the player that, that we think is good enough to bring in. And so there's no like merit, there's not even merit on, on the player side of things. And so it's like, it, it's it's really strange to me that that it's all based on subjectivity basically and, and there's no there, there, there there's no real competition for being or being selected as the best player it's it's all just you know did you impress the right person it is is kind of the system that seems to be in place and has been in place for quite a while in American soccer, which is, you know, it just begs the question, uh, what's his, what's his fuck, um, Bruce arena, you know, are players falling through the cracks? Absolutely. Players are falling through the cracks because you're, you're only, you're, you're counting on just people selecting the players that they like, not necessarily the players that are the best or the teams that are the best or the, even the coaches that are the best. So it's, right. it just leaves so many, so many questions. It leaves so many questions. Man, I did not expect to talk about all this. <laughs> this yeah, is, for sure. It's, but it's a, you know, it's a topic that gets people, you know, talking about it because you're 100% right. There is no, this, when you look at player, um, you know, player promotion to give it a name, there is no, uh, this player won that's why they're moving up. No, it's, it's based upon your right. My opinion, I think that that player can play at the next level. That's what gets them there. Not, you know, not something that they completely did on the field. 
you know, so I, I agree with that. And players are definitely falling through the cracks. We see it all the time where all of a sudden you'll have a tryout and, you know, this is at the club level. So it's, I'm sure that it's at the top level too, where you're seeing someone for the first time and it's 16, 17. And you're like, where's this player been for the past three years? Like we, we haven't even heard of him, you know, him or her, you know? So what, what could that player have been if they had been in a, a certain environment? You know, that, that's a conversation that we have a lot is, you know, looking at players and saying if they were in this environment or that environment, where could they have been? You know, and it's it's looking back on things, but it's still, you know, always looking to improve how as a club we evaluate our players. No, it's and that's exactly right, man. There, there's a lot of times we've we've had that same discussion too. And the thing that's on my mind, and I, I just need to I just need to say it out loud so other people can hear the thought. But somebody on Twitter mentioned Weston McKinney being a world class player already, like like saying that he's world class right now. And it just it made me think. It's like how like how can you say that that Weston McKinney is a world class player if he finish if him and his team finished fourteenth in the Bundesliga? It's like that 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 doesn't that doesn't add up. Like world class players don't finish fourteenth. Um, you right. Know, so it, some do. Some some that are on their way, or you know, that maybe are coming down. But if you're saying that it, that a guy is at his peak, well then. I don't think that you know many world class players are playing in in the bottom half of of the table or finishing bottom half of the table. That's just my opinion. I don't know. So I definitely agree. You're not going <laughs> to see a team with a world class player at the bottom half. One player can make enough of a difference to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Especially if they are world class. Yep. Yep. And then you have like teams like Toronto and all these other Columbus crew, whatever, you know, finishing last. And then they're the, they're the players that are selected for our national team. It's like, get the hell out of here. Um, Andrew, (laughs) I did not anticipate talking about any of this stuff with you. We hardly even talked about coaching at all. So I think we need to bring you back on for another, another round of this. Perfect. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, where where can people where can people connect with you and just exchange ideas for now? And then I definitely want to bring you back on. Yeah, for sure. So I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm bad. I don't know my Twitter <laughs> handle or whatever that is. Let me look it up really um, quick, just so people that are listening they can they can at least hear it. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. Why is this taking so long? Um, wait. Oh come on, Twitter. You're killing me. Andrew. Oh, you were just there. Uh, Andrew Hoyt 24. How did you not remember that? (laughs) Perfect. All right. So Andrew Hoyt 24 is where people can find you on Twitter. Yeah. And I love to, you know, I love to see what you post and what a lot of other soccer minds on Twitter post. So, you know, I think it's a good tool for every coach to learn. And a big thing for me is on the coaching side is taking bits from it. I, I think of coaching as stealing ideas from everyone else and molding, molding your craft out of different pieces from everybody. You know, obviously you have original ideas, but not reinventing the wheel is probably a safe bet. Absolutely. And it's, and you mentioned earlier, but you're good buddies with, uh, with, Colton Bly, who's a, a former guest on this podcast, and a, and a, I call him a friend of mine too. So, 
yeah definitely good guys so cool um well i'll make sure to bring you back on soon and maybe we'll do uh, an extended conversation so we can get you for like 30 or 45 minutes sounds good all right Andrew, appreciate your time man all right thanks all right catch you later All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas, and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams, and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review, and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.